want to start with this thought this morning. Have you ever been really, really thirsty? Like, I mean, really, really thirsty. It's like you, you just, it doesn't matter what it is to drink. It doesn't matter if there's like, you know, still coffee grounds in the bottom of that cup and you just grabbed out of the dishwasher. It doesn't matter. You just have to have water like now. Ever been that, in that spot? Maybe you're at work and it's hot. You're just like, oh, I just need something to drink. Um, my kids, you know, my kids, I realize that they're the thirstiest and probably yours are at the, There's just a particular part of the day where they all of a sudden become incredibly thirsty, like insatiable thirst that they have to have that med. Anybody know when that is? Bedtime. You're right. It's like you got them in bed. Everything's done. And all of a sudden you hear, Dad. I'm thirsty. That was 3 o'clock this morning for me. And I'm like, seriously, Max, like, you're going to take my bed, and now you're thirsty too, right? I'm like, oh, you know. But there's that, there's that thirst that they, they call out for. It reminded me of this um, story that I heard way back. It's like this kid says, you know, Dad, can you bring me a drink of water? And he's like, no, you had your chance. I've already put you to bed. You can have a drink tomorrow. Five minutes later, Dad, Dad, can you bring me a drink of water? And he's like, no, I already told you. And if you ask again, I'm going to come in there and spank you. You know how old this story is. And so then uh, he says, you know, five minutes later, here's Dad. And he's like, oh, what? He's like, Dad, when you come to spank me, can you bring me a drink of water? <laughs> and I'm like, you know, as, as, as kids, you know, that's, that's, that's my uh, uh, title of the message today is, Dad, I'm thirsty. And, you know, as we uh, think about that, I remember, you know, my kids do it to me, but I did the same thing to my parents. You know, I had that thing. It was, I was thirsty enough that I would call out for, um, for someone to bring me a drink. And I remember we tried it on our babysitters, too, and we like, you know, we're thirsty. And after they had gotten wise to us, you know, my one babysitter, I'll never forget, it was one of my cousins, you know, as, as, um, as we were uh, begging for water, he finally just says, you know what? He says, you do this every time. Just drink your spit. And I was like, that was the last time we ever asked him for a drink of water, right? It's that, those things, but it was, it, it was that thing of being a kid, of just saying, you know what, I don't care, I'm going to, I'm going to shout it out that I'm thirsty. And as, you know, as people, um, you know, we have different things that we think quench our thirst. Each of you have your favorite thing when you're thirsty for, you know, I remember in youth group, we'd be like, we're thirsty, and we'd be like, okay, here's, there's water everywhere. No, we don't want water, we want pop. You know, like, pop's not going to quench your thirst. Oh, you know, it, it, it might for a little bit, and then it, it kind of comes back around, you're even more thirsty. Um, water's the best thing to quench thirst. I know some of you try and convince me, no, there's nothing like a, a fresh, cold beer. That's the best thirst quencher. And, and you know, it, 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 sure, it's going to quench your thirst for a little while, but there's nothing quenches thirst like water. Uh, and every other thing, juice, all those other things, they all have something else that they um, bring into your life. And, and that thirst isn't actually as quenched as you think it is. And that, the reason I'm, I'm not talking about that today is because of physical thirst, but we have an internal thirst. Every one of us has it. Um, we're born with it. It's this thirst, it's, and it's, it can be described differently. There's like an inner longing, some would call it. Some would call that, that thing, you know, that, that maybe it's like an emptiness like this unhappiness as you go through life and you're like there's there's just got to be more to life than, than this it's like that hollow feeling of like when you lay alone uh, in bed at night and you think about life and you really think about it, you're like it's just there, there's something missing it's in every single one of us you know they say we get people to show hands but it's been in us and it's been in, in us ever since we were um, since mankind has begun. And Blaise Pascal, you, you may have heard this before, he described it as like, it's like a God-shaped hole. It's like a hole in, in us that can only be filled with him. He wrote it this way. He says, what else does this craving and this helplessness, this emptiness, this hollowness, what does it proclaim? But that there was once in man a true happiness, of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. That once it was there, but it's missing now. There's something missing. 
And this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there, the help that he can't find in those that are. Though none can help, since this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite and immutable object. In other words, it can only be filled by God himself. We have that, and you know, maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, you just, somebody invited you to church, promised you lunch or something after, if you just come with me, you know, whatever it may have been. As you sit there, you think, yeah, you know, I, I, I sense that, you know, that there's that, that emptiness inside, now that I think about it. But for many of you, you're followers of Christ, and you're in this place, and you're like, you know, it, it's, I, I think I feel that too. Does that mean I'm like not a follower of Christ, but I've realized that that can happen for, for Christians as well. David described it in Psalms. He said in Psalm 42, as the deer longs for streams of water, it says, so my soul longs for you. See, it's, it's, this, it's this part of us, that part of us that, that our soul is thirsty. And it says, I long and I thirst for you, God, for the living God. And David knew what he was longing for as well. Many of us don't know what it is that we're longing for. It's this, it's this thought that that longing, it's tried to fill, be filled with so many different things. It's like, they, they, you know you have a thirst, but you just don't quite know what will satisfy it. Uh, a number of months ago, we did a series called Adrift, and we were talking about all those stories of people who are stranded out on the ocean and in, in the boats. And as I've read so many of those stories just in preparation for that, it was incredible how many of them being in those boats for a numerous amount of days with thirsty like crazy, with water all around them. And the temptation every day for them was to just scoop a cup of seawater and drink it. It's going to make me feel better if I could just, there's, it's water, at least it's water. And we know that because salt water is 3% and our kidneys can only process us down to 2%, that all it does is actually dehydrate. And they would say, they would watch, and they'd realize that certain members of their crew uh, started going crazy and seeing things, and, and they realized, uh-oh, you know, they must have. And sure enough, they would have drank the seawater throughout the night, and those men all died, all the ones who took it. Because it's like they thought, you know, if I drink this, it's going to quench my thirst, and yet it, it, it doesn't. I remember on a fishing trip a couple of years ago, we were driving up, and we were, you know, we always tell stories on the way. And one of the guys, uh, he's a relative of some, uh, some of them here, uh, and he was on his way uh, to the fishing trip. And we're, we, he's telling us about the time. He was just so thirsty. We, we traveled in the summer, and he had been, been working in the field a couple of weeks earlier, and, and he hadn't brought any water with him. And he's out there, and he's like, man, this tractor, I think, broke down because he couldn't get back. And so he's out there working, he's sweating, he's like so hot. And he's like, oh, I needed a drink. And he looks in his tractor and he finds one of those little water bottles, but it's half full. And he's like, I remember drinking the other half. I just don't know. I just don't remember when. You know, I think it was like a month ago or something. And, and if you know, if you, you realize, you know, when you drink water bottle, the, the bacteria from your mouth ends up in there, ends up like a little greenhouse and creates bacteria like crazy. He's like, it didn't look clear, but I was so thirsty I had to drink it. So he drank the rest of that bottle. He says it was the worst thing he ever did. For the rest of the week, he had beaver fever, he calls it, which is just the, the name for, for the medical crew here. It's Giardia, right, where your guts are just like going at both ends. And spent the rest of the week of, of harvesting season in the washroom. Why? Because it was like, I think this is going to quench my thirst and yet it actually had the opposite thing and you know what it can happen for us the same way that with our soul thirst that you you know you're tempted by so many of the things that that look like water or look like it's going to quench our thirst around us quench that soul thirst that emptiness on the inside and yet it ends up being you know horribly horribly wrong you know it's for some of you as followers of Christ you thought you know when I, when I decide to follow Christ so many describe it as this it's like that weight was lifted off of me I felt like oh I can breathe again. There's something, something changed on the inside. And so for so many, they think, well, it's just going to continue on from there automatically. And I don't know if you've realized, but as a follower of Christ, that feeling just doesn't stay there. 
there's that, that emptiness can return, even for followers of Christ. It's like marriage. You know when you get married, uh, and these guys just got married and signed their names on a marriage license? Those two names signed on a marriage license doesn't make a good marriage. Maybe I should just preach right here for a bit. That doesn't, that doesn't make a good marriage, right? It's not just, oh, because the names are there. It's legal. They're married, but that doesn't guarantee a good marriage. I hope they have one so far. It's only been a week. But, but the... Uh, but a good marriage, a good marriage is determined by the, by the relationship between, the fellowship between those two individuals as they go. You know, it's in the same way that when we accept Christ in our lives, legally now we've been changed on the inside. Heaven is our new home. You know it on the inside. And it's, that's legally the, 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 the spot that you're in. It's like the wedding pay, um, license. But it's that relationship with God. That ongoing relationship with God that is actually the, 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 the filling of that emptiness on the, on the inside of us. And that our relationship in marriage and with God is only as good as that fellowship with him. And so as we have and realize that there's this thirst on the inside of us, too often we run to empty wells trying to quench that thirst. We've got a number of empty wells we want to talk about this morning. Some of the wells that we run to, even as followers of Christ, is this one. Sin, sin sometimes, and addiction. Addiction is simply... Um, misusing the thirst on the inside. It's like that thirst of like, ah, I need something in my life to make it a little bit better. And, and you run to any number of different things. And by going to that thing and realizing, ah, oh, it left me thirsty. You go back to it again and pretty soon it becomes habit and all of a sudden then it becomes your master and you can't, you can't seem to get out. But it's like this thought, you know, the good news if you're a follower of Christ is that if you've gone to the well of sin, that that's forgiven. That's the good news about it, that Christ has forgiven us. That, you know, we're not, gonna, we're not um, eternally responsible for that anymore. But the bad news is that sin always leads to death. It always leads to death in, in, in our lives still today. Not just physical death, but death of relationships, you know, death of your health, death of all kinds of things. And James wrote it this way. He said to the, to the believers um, in the early church, he said this in James chapter 1, 13 to 15. He says, and remember, why do you think he said that? Why do you think he said remember? Because we forget. They forgot too, don't worry. Uh, but we forget this thought. He says, remember, when you're being tempted, do not say God's tempting me. Because God's never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. You know, a whole different message here. But for those of you who think God does bad stuff because he's testing you to see if you'll be able to handle it. And he's putting stuff on your life because he thinks you can handle it. It's not him, but different time. So it says this, temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions. And when sin's allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. Why does James use those words, gives birth? It seems like a strange, strange thing. But it's that, it's that uh, same thought of um, the, uh, the idea of sin is very much like, like a pregnant woman. I don't know if you've seen, you know, pregnant women, it's like, a, you know, the first, first three months, it's like they're, they're visiting the toilet, puking every morning, and then, you know, the second trimester, they're beating on their husband, and then the third trimester, you know, it's like you can see they're getting, they're getting close, they don't care anymore about their weight, they're just flaunted, and it's like, you know, this is, all, I'm going to have a baby, and the expectation gets higher and higher and higher, and you get to that moment where it's like, it's been nine months, you're at the hospital, and, and everybody, you know, everything's ready, the room's ready, the clothes are bought, it's all, you're ready, and then all of a sudden, it's a stillborn child. And it's like that expectation, 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 expectation. Oh, it gives birth to death. It's that same thought with sin that it's like, it's like, it's got that, that hook in you that this time it's going to be good. It's going to be good. It's going to be good. You know, what doesn't matter about last time, this is going to do it for you this time. And, it, and you get to that place like, oh, it leaves you empty. 
I love this in Proverbs. It says this in Proverbs 26. As the dog returns to its vomit, so a fool repeats his foolishness. Repeats. See that word? He says it's, it's that idea of going back to that empty well. As a dog returns, it's, it's, it's a foolishness. But we know that. But why do we do it? And I thought, man, dog vomit. That's a great word picture. But it's even better picture picture. Uh, you know, as he's licking his lips. I, I mean, it is like, I know. And some of you are like, oh, I, oh, I didn't want to see that this morning. You know, why do, why do I show that? Because it's that, that's the picture he's painting. He's saying, you know, when we, see, when we see sin, that well says, oh, it's good, it's good, it's good. And it, it's that same response. Like, oh, actually, no, it's dog vomit. Why would I go back there? When I realize what it really is, why would I go back there again? And it's what Jesus is saying. He's calling us to something bit more than that empty well that, you know, that we run to. Second empty well is relationships. You know, we, we, we know that, and this one's a close one because it's actually relationship that fills us. But it's this thought of it's going to be in a relationship we can find. You know, and it's, for some, it's like friends. You just, like, you're, it's, it's a popularity contest. The, the more people that you can connect with hopefully makes you feel um, better about yourself. For some, it's like you think it's going to be in that other person. You look for your soulmate. It's like, i got to find my soulmate, and yet that soulmate can't fill the longing of your soul. And if we, like, if we have that expectation that that person's going to complete me, you end up drawing out of them and requiring stuff from them that they can't fill. And it starts causing judgment and you, these expectations that don't get met. You're like, you said you were God's gift to woman, you know, and you're nothing, right? It's like, you know, marriages struggle with those things because it's like, I got a soul thirst but I'm trying to get it filled from there, and they don't even realize it. They don't realize that that well is empty and that they can't. It's like even after they find Mr. Right, they still feel empty. And so some, they'll go from person to person. They won't realize that, you know, the emptiness couldn't be filled with that person, and they think it's another person. That emptiness will never be filled by a relationship of that type. You know, it's never going to be filled by that, uh, a person on this planet. The third thought is religious activity. For some of you, you know, especially followers of Christ, run to this, this well too often. It's like they run to the th- idea of doing church. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. You know, you're here because it's like, you know, I, I just feel better when I'm there. You know, they, I, I don't know if it's the funny pictures or I don't know if it's the songs but I just feel something when I'm there and you know that's why I'm there and then when I leave it's like I don't know you know it's, it's just gone but I can tell you something that you know for many you run to church thinking it's going to do it for you and then when you realize oh it's just not I feel I feel empty on the inside many of you are here because of that you came from a church where you're like that church isn't meeting my needs you know and you get back to this spot and it's like now it's like oh this church isn't meeting my needs and it becomes this idea of our our, our needs and realizing that weekend services won't quench the thirst, the soul thirst. And for some, it's like it becomes the experience. It's, it's that thought of, you know, oh, when we sang that one song, I felt goosebumps. And I was like, oh, God's real. I love that feeling. And then, and then they went into another song that they don't like so much, and I, the goosebumps are gone. I just got to get back to that song. And then when that song's over, it's like, you know, maybe it's, a, it's like a, a service or a place. And people will chase, you know, revival meetings, and they'll chase feelings all over the country trying to find that next thirst-quenching feeling. And you know what? It keeps leaving you empty. It leaves you empty. And there's nothing wrong with going to meetings at other places. Nothing wrong with that at all. Not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is if that's what you're going for is just because you feel like that part's going to quench your thirst, what happens when God moves to Hawaii? Every Sunday morning, you're going to hop on a plane, got to get to Hawaii because that's where God is. And some of you are like, yeah, I'm doing that. So... (laughs) 
So what if God moves to Alaska, you know, or Antarctica, and you know, it's like Penguin Revival, and are you going to go there? No, because it's going to leave you empty. So don't just, don't go to the, to the wrong well, even though it's so close. It happens with youth. I remember that with youth. Youth events, it was all the time. Growing in youth group, it was like you go to youth, and, and youth is cool, but they all wait for that one moment. Hey, acquire the fire. You know, acquire the fire is like the event of the year. And the kids go there like, yeah, I'm passionate about God. I'm going to live out my faith for a week. And then it kind of drifts, right? And then we realize acquire the fire only happens once a year. We need more than that. So let's make overflow. And then, you know, let's, we got to do something in the summer to keep these kids. Let's go on a missions trip. And, and let's, you know, have all of these events. And this, I say all of those events are fantastic. They really are. Do you realize that they said that most of the youth that are still serving the Lord in their adults went to all of those things? The ones who went to camps and the ones who went to those events, they're the ones who are here because it, it, it's, those, it's those spark plugs for them again. But guess what? It in itself isn't going to quench the thirst. It's still going to leave you feeling empty. And we wonder, why does that happen? Because none of those things were meant to quench our thirst. And here's the last one, busyness. This is the one that gets me every single time. This is the one, this is the reason why I would say today, you know, it's mostly for me and maybe for you. It's this idea that, you know, sometimes we try and quench our thirst by just being more busy. And if you look down, deep down, sometimes the reason we add busyness to our schedule and stuff to our schedule is simply that it makes us feel better about ourselves. We feel more valuable if we accomplish more, or so we think. Think if I can do, 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 you know, maybe I, I, I'll feel better about who I am. It may, maybe it'll add to my significance. And it's so dangerous. It's so dangerous. You know, for so many, you know, we, we fill our schedules till there's like no breathing room at all. And if we don't fill it, something else does. It's like you get up in the morning like, God, I just want to spend some time getting to know you. I want to spend some time, you know, connecting with you. And all of a sudden it's like there's one of your kids. I want breakfast. You know, I'm hungry. And it's like, okay, I'll do that. And then I'll do that. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, but I should check my email real quick before. And all of a sudden you're like, now, you know, you didn't have a schedule, but now you do. Now I got to do this and do this and do this and do this. And then, you know, a phone call comes in and, and it's like, it's just your day gets filled with stuff. I don't know if you've ever been in that place where you say, you know, these words, I don't have time to fill in the blank. I don't have time to exercise. I don't have time to read books. I don't have time to spend with my family. I don't have time to spend with God. I I just don't have time. And, you know, when we say it that way, it's actually a lie because it makes us think that we don't have any power of it. We're the victim. You know, I don't have time. I don't have control over it. The truth is we do. The truth is what we're actually saying and what we're saying is this. I believe that whatever this is is more important than exercise. I believe that, you know, this is more, watching movies is much more important than reading books. I believe that working is much more important than spending time with my family. I believe that this is more important than spending time with God. It's, it, it's, it's that part of just busyness that we say, hey, you know, it, it's not me. It's not my fault. It's not, it's not up to me. I just don't have time. I just don't want to be that person anymore that says I'm too busy. Some of you, you, you encourage that. You call me and the first thing you say, hey, I know you're really busy, but... <laughs> Say, you know, next time you call me, just remind me, hey, I know you have tons of time, <laughs> but I just want to, and that you can prioritize however you want, but I just wanted to ask, you know, to, to chat with you. There's, there's those thoughts. You know why? Because if, if we prioritize any of those wrong wells, and all of those wells are fun. It's the reason we do them. It's the reason we go back to them, because there's a bit of fun in them. But if we realize that every one of those is empty, and whichever one it is for you today, realizing that's empty, he's saying, you know, what it leaves you, if you keep going back to that well, it leaves you burnt out. 
It leaves you exhausted. And not just so tired from work that you got the black circles under your eyes. It leaves your soul exhausted. It's like deep down in here, you know, maybe you worked hard and you felt good about your, your hard work, but down in here, you're just like, there's just this, I don't know, this emptiness, this something, I, and, I, and I don't like it. It leaves your soul thirsty, soul exhausted. So my question, is life weighing on you? Has life lately been weighing on you? Has life left you thirsty? John chapter 7, Jesus said this, on the last day, on the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and he shouted to the crowds, anyone, anyone, and that's us today, anyone who's thirsty uh, may come to me. Jesus said, come to me. He said, come to me. And you know, I, I, this week I was listening to a guy named Pete Wilson from Cross Point Church, and he shared some thoughts in one of his messages about our approach to God. How we come to Jesus determines oftentimes whether that, that thirst gets satiated or if that thirst is, is actually, it's like we're so close and yet it's still an empty well. Well, I thought God was just going to do it. But it's our approach to him that matters. He, if you got you know, a chance, jot down these four things uh, and uh, maybe have, take a mental note of which one uh, or all that you may uh, be experiencing. For some, the approach to God is this idea of life from God. It's like, you know what, you, you, you believe God exists, but your whole approach to God is that it's life from him. You, you know, yes, I believe there's a God, but I don't need him until I need something. It's like you just do life as if he doesn't exist until all of a sudden your girlfriend broke up with you. Oh, God, I need you. You know, you do life and it's like, you know, just as if God doesn't exist until all of a sudden like, oh, my goodness. Like, you know, we spent that much on hydro? Oh, God. You know, please, please, please. You know, you go as if God doesn't exist and all of a sudden you get that doctor's report and you're like, oh, God. Or your marriage. Oh, God. And it's like you just kind of live life and it's life from God. He's like your vending machine in heaven. You know, until you only need them when, you're, when you got that craving for something. Then there's the other type, life over God, where it's like you got God figured out. It's like there's no mystery or awe to God anymore. Everything's a formula for you. It's like if I pray this way, then this happens. If I give this much, then this happens. I go to church from this time to this time. Hopefully he's done on time. You know, that's my formula of, of relationship with God. And it's like you get to that place where like, you say things like God always or God never. And it's, just, it's this idea of we got it all figured out. And it's not like this awe and wonder of him anymore. Marriage relationships, same thing. You know, you get that idea of like, I just, you know, you stop getting to know your spouse. You think you just got them all figured out. Believe me, they change. Watch them. You'll realize they've changed since last time. You know, in ministry, it's so dangerous because in ministry and church circles, sometimes we get to this spot where it's life over God and we think everybody should be at the very same level at the same time. And we say, everybody's got to be at this place, and everybody's got to be doing this, and everybody's got to think like me, believe like me. Everybody's got to have the same thing. It's not true. And we tend to look down on those who don't think or, you know, at the same level as us. And it's, it's, not, it's not what he's called, but it's that idea of we're thinking, you know, life over God. We can control it all. It becomes more about knowing doctrine than knowing truth. You can know doctrine and be grumpy. Those are just the Saturday night people. But... <laughs> Don't worry, I told them it was just you guys. <laughs> but, but he's like, not just knowing doctrine, but knowing the truth. Knowing the truth. Life over God. Then there's life under God, where it's just all about rules. 
And, and it's like that idea of, you, you know, um, it can be summed up in one word, legalism. You know, trying to get or earn God's approval. You wouldn't say you're doing that, but that's how you live. You're trying to be better this week than last week. You're trying to, like, make up for, for, for uh, the bad things you've done. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. And, and it just leaves you with this, this uh, impossible thing. Because if legalism, this life under God, keep all the rules or else, you end up in two places. One is either completely defeated because you can't do it, or you end up on the other side where it's hypocrisy because you just pretend you are. And in both of those places, you feel empty. And he's saying, Jesus said, come to me. If you're empty, come to me. And that's that last thought of life with God. Realizing that Jesus paid for our sins so that we could have relationship with God. I don't know if you ever thought about that, but do you ever think about why Jesus died on the cross? It wasn't this thought of, you know, I have nothing else today. I'm just going to go, I'm God. I'm just going to go to earth. I'm going to hang on a cross. I'm just paying for the whole sins of all the world. Just for, just because I can. It wasn't that at all. It was this realization that the relationship that I could have with them is broken beyond repair at this point. They can do nothing to, to restore relationship with us. And God says, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to do whatever it takes to give them the opportunity to have a relationship with me because it's what their soul craves. The only way they can have it is if I'll give my life on a cross for them. And he says, he reaches out and says, you know what? I've got the answer for your soul thirst. And I'll do whatever is required. I'll, I'll, I'll hang on a cross. I'll pay for that sin so that that soul thirst can actually be quenched. Paul said to the Corinthians, there's a simplicity that's in, no, in, in Christ. And for us, we've made it so complicated sometimes. It's that idea of taking time just to slow down. Maybe for you it's saying, i got to say no to some things. i gotta say, I got to say no to all the things that I don't really need that are just filling up the time slots of where I could be spending the time with the one who I really do need. Each and every one of us is craving that, that presence of Jesus in our lives. It's what, it's what quenches that thirst in us. It's what we thirst for. He said this in John chapter 15, verse 4. Jesus said to his disciples, he's like, remain in me. Stay connected to me. Stay connected to the relationship with me. And he says, and I'll remain in you. For a branch can't produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. You can't be fruitful unless you remain in me. He's saying the idea isn't just get saved. Don't just come to me, but come to me and remain in me. Keep coming to me. And it's this thought, you know, I took this off my, uh, my crab apple tree at home last night. And, and that's not my crab apple tree, but that's what it's supposed to look like until uh, I decided to build a birdcage around it and I cut off all the branches and Beth was like not too happy. But one of the branches, you know, as I cut, these, cut the branches off, and there's some little crab apples on there. You can see that. But see, they're starting to get wrinkly already. Do you know that the second that we cut this off, all of this began to die? It still looks like it's okay, but it began to die from that moment. And for each of us, that thirst begins to, every time we get disconnected from him, it begins to die. It might look okay on the outside still a little bit, but you can see pretty quickly that it's dying. And so for many followers of Jesus, it's just that. We just get disconnected somehow. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, listen, I'm just giving you one job. This week, I just Googled, I don't know if you've ever Googled, you have just one job, or you had one job. Uh, you can waste hours on that. Beth, she walked in on me, this, uh, as I was looking at the, these, um, all these pictures, and she's like, is this what you do? Is this, you know, is this what you do with your life? It's just, you know, look at, look at all these pictures on the internet. I was like, but huh, you got to see this. You had one job, and, and there's like this one, and, and then there's this one. It's going to come to you, yeah? And, and there's this one. <laughs> you had one job. That's my favorite. That's in Dunville. Uh, 
You, I just kid. You had one job. You had one job. And he's saying to, that, to the disciples, you know, you had one job. Stay connected to me. So I want to I close with this, this thought. Because Jesus was saying to them, listen, I, that thirst on the inside, it can be satisfied. If you'll go to the right well, it'll be satisfied. And if you go to the wrong ones, it's going to leave you thirsty. And I'll leave you with this thought. There's a guy named David Buschow. He was on a wilderness expedition. He signed up for a two-day wilderness expedition where they go there with nothing, except they have a number of guides that, that go along this um, expedition with them. And as they get thirsty, they show them where to find water. And as they get hungry, they tell them uh, where they can find something to eat. And as, as this group was going along, he wasn't uh, feeling so well, and he, he got down on the path, and he was sitting on the path, and, and he told the guys, I'm thirsty, I need a drink. And they said, you know, it's just 100 yards away. You can make it. You can make it to that spot. And he's, he was there, he's just looking, he's like, just parsed, thinking, you know, I, I can't make it. And they would tell him, listen, you can do more than you think you can. You can do more than what your body's telling you you can. You can just get up, walk that 100 yards, and, and that water is right there. It's just 100 yards away. You can get there. The unfortunate thing is that he couldn't, and he died right there, 100 yards away from water. Later on, his family sued the company because they realized that the three guides who were around there encouraging him to go all had water on them and didn't offer it to him. They just kept telling him, no, you can do better. You can get there. You can do better. You can get there. Tragedy. But can I tell you something? That's the same kind of tragedy that can happen in moments like this, where if all I would say is you can do better, you don't feel that thirst, you just got to try harder. You just got to keep going. You can do better. You can do better. All it is is a motivational message. But guess what? We can't. We can't find, we can't in our own find that thing that's going to quench that thirst. We can't just, you know, do better, try harder, dig deeper, go further. In Acts chapter 3, when the people came around, the disciples, and said, what do we do? There's that thirst on the inside. What do we do? You've talked about something. What do we do? And Peter said this to them. He said, now repent. Change your mind. Change your mind about your sin. Change your mind about that well, he's saying. And turn to God. Go turn towards him so that your sins may be washed away. And then times of what? Refreshment. Times of refreshment will come from where? The presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord is what we need in our lives, he says. And he says, and he'll uh, again send you Jesus, the appointed Messiah. Do you know if you're here to, this morning, and you, maybe you're not a follower of Christ, and you've kind of been, you feel like as, as we've talked this morning, it describes you. You're like, yeah, I've tried all of these things, and I just feel empty this morning. Can I tell you something that the answer you're looking for is Jesus? It's always been Jesus, and it will always be Jesus. He's the only one that satisfies that inner thirst with no shame and without, with, with no regret, with no hangover, with no negative side effect. It's not just saying a prayer. It's life with him. And he offers that to you this morning, whoever you may be. And for the believers here this morning, for those of you who are followers of Christ and you feel like it's, it's empty, it's weighing on you, can I tell you this? The answer for you is it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus and it will always be Jesus. It's connecting with Jesus through Holy Spirit. It's connecting with him. John 15 said, stay connected to him. So are you feeling weary this morning? Are you feeling burnt out? Are you feeling dry on the inside? Are you feeling weighed down by, by life? Matthew 11, Jesus said, come to me. All of you are weary and carry heavy burdens. Maybe that's you this morning. He says, I, I'll give you rest. Last thought's this. Your body can't live without water. Not for long. Your body cannot live without water. It delivers oxygen and nutrients to your cells. It flushes the toxins from your organs. It regulates your body temperature. It keeps your skin moist and cushions your joints. It does all of that. 
Your body can't live without it. But can I tell you this morning, your soul can't live without water either. And it's not the water, the same drinking water. It's that water of relationship with Jesus Christ. Your soul, even as a follower of Christ, even as a Christian, cannot survive without regular connection to him. On the last day, I want to read the last part of John chapter 7. He says, on the last day, on the climax of the festival, Jesus stood and shouted to the crowds. And I believe he's shouting it to you today. You feel it in your heart. He says, anyone, that's you, the anyone who's thirsty, let him come to me. Not come to church, not come to, you know, not come to new rules, new regulations, not come to religion. Come to me. Come to me is what Jesus is saying. He says, anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the scriptures declare that rivers of living water will flow from his heart. Something on the inside is just going to churn and bubble and bring that life. And it's that connection with Jesus. I've met people this week, both sides of the fence. I've met people that, you know, as we sat and chatted, they're like, you know, I just keep going to this, this well, these things. They wouldn't call it wells. They described the wells. It was like just they came back empty and you could see it all over them. And this week I also talked to some other people who were just like, you know, I just, I spent time just every day for two weeks just spending time at my table. Uh, for one, they said I was just having communion, taking communion uh, with the Lord and just realizing the relationship between him and him and myself. And this woman, you know her, she doesn't talk ever. She wouldn't stop talking for an hour and a half just letting me know and the smile and the joy on her face of just what it was like to be uh, knowing that relationship with Jesus Christ to be real. That's something on the inside. And I was like, man, it, it, it's incredible. But you know what? It comes all the way back to the very first thought this morning. That my kids, when they're thirsty, are willing to shout out, Dad, I'm thirsty. And I believe the same thing is necessary for us. That each and every one of you says, if you're thirsty on the inside, that you would go and say today, maybe you're taking that time this week to just set aside some time to slow down, to relax, to just sit back and say, Dad, I'm thirsty and I'm coming to you because I know you're the only one who can fill this need in me. Dad, I'm thirsty. Today I leave you with that simple hope that wherever you find yourself, it's not a specific place it's as much as it's a place of your, of your mind and of your heart saying, you know what, Dad? I'm so tempted by all of these other things because I, the, the reason it's there's a thirst in me and I know that none of them can satisfy. So I'm just coming to you with those words, Dad, I'm thirsty. Allow him to take it from there. Can we pray? Holy Spirit, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you've doing in my life. Thank you for bringing me back to this again, reminding me of just how much I need you. So I also want to say thank you for those moments and those times where you've just flooded into my heart again and again and again and lit up that joy on the inside. Thank you for the chance just to have a real relationship with you. That is it's unbelievable. It's amazing. Thank you for that. Lord, I know that it's not just for me, but it's for us. It's for each person in this place. And so Today, Lord, you know every heart in this place, and maybe they don't have it in them today to shout it out in this place, but you hear their heart shouting out to you, Dad, we're thirsty. Would you answer those cries, and would you come fill them with living water, that water of your spirit? May it be something that just becomes so addictive to us that we can't help but each and every day reach out for you, that we, we would be, have life on the inside and that the fruit would be so evident in our lives. People would just see, I know that they are connected to Jesus. May they say that about me. Father, I'm too busy. Would you just remind me again of that fact? What I really need is you. Thank you for that this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to, 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 to know that you're not just here in this place. You're with us everywhere. May we never forget that. May we live that out 
this life with you and for your glory. We pray. Amen.